And we're back. I feel well rested. How about you? I feel great, Scott. It's good to be back again. Thanks. It's good to see you. I'm glad we were able to schedule this. Uh, so I'm going to go into the premise of this album with something that I've never told a guest before. I am not a big fan of your style of music. And when I say that, I mean, I'm not a big jazz guy. And this is a jazz album. I enjoy seeing jazz when it's performed because it's very spontaneous. And to kind of give you a context to that, when I first moved to town, uh, Derek Jones over at Ka was playing a gig and he said, oh, you should come down and see I'm playing at this club tonight. And I said, yeah, sure. So I go down and listen to a few songs and then they go on a break and he comes and sits down and I said, how long have you guys been playing together? And he goes, oh, tonight's the first night. And I'm like, what? I, it just sounded so <laughs> together, you know, like a band that's been playing together for years. And I learned to have an amazing appreciation for the way that jazz musicians support each other. Yeah. Here's when it's my time to solo. Everybody backs me up. Now I'll back you guys up when it's each of your turns. And it's very respectful, uh, very, again, family oriented kind of uh, thing where, you know, the family's there to support you. What I find difficult typically is listening on record because it doesn't feel as spontaneous to me. And it feels like, okay, we wrote the songs, we rehearsed them when we recorded them, and there's nothing wrong with that. But the attraction to me for jazz is watching that just unfold in the moment. And, right. and to be fair, that's why I'm not a big live album guy, because a recording of a live album to me doesn't capture what those moments really were like if you were actually there. So all of that being said, friendship aside, I love this album. I think it's fantastic. I've listened to it a few times. And it really feels spontaneous to me. It feels like you guys were in your three corners of the room, looking at each other, nodding. Okay, Peter, you take it. You know, cool. it, that's, that's the feeling I got. So I don't know what you did, but you give me the feel of being at a live experience with it being a pre-recorded album. And that to me is a certain magic that you could not have planned and made work. Oh, thanks so much, Scott. Wow. What a great intro to the 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 album and and just your your I like your honesty about not being a big jazz uh, fan of you know you like seeing it live versus recording I totally get that too and I'm like that with some other genres as well but yeah we recorded that album at Peter's house in in California we we he has a studio in his backyard and it was great you know we we came up with I had the charts ready to go. Dirk and I drove down together and, and just, we got a hotel for a couple nights and just. I'm sorry. I'm just going to interrupt you here. I, I just want to set the proper stage because when you said that I was yeah. picturing like you guys are out playing in the grass with tiki torches. It's, it's an actual, like a building. <laughs> yeah. It's like a converted garage basically. Okay. Yeah. That's funny, man. That's, um, that's bad. I, I, I wouldn't mind having you guys record that though. I know I should, man, we, the CD itself, inside the jacket, shows there's a picture of us in his backyard, actually outside of the, the garage slash studio. But I should give you a copy of that. I know yeah. you, you downloaded the record. I appreciate uh, that. Sure, yeah. But yeah, so we did it all in one day. There's a couple of tracks that uh, it's just me playing solo bass, with which I do live with loop pedals and effects and things like that. But that was something I did in Dirk's studio. And then we did some edits and, you know, mixing with Dirk in his own studio. But he was he was basically the, the main uh, mixologist. Mm -hmm. 
and but working with peter and and getting the drums and all that and guitars and, and bass sussed out in peter's studio was a lot of fun because we would take like a break and we'd, we'd get some lunch and what one of the best memories i had is we were talking about the sound of music and i arranged it kind of in a funky fashion it's an odd meter and it's it's in minor instead of major melodies the same but and the intro was supposed to just be me playing the groove on bass and then peter was like you know we're eating a burrito and he's like he's like what if i did this thing on the toms and i was like oh yeah that'd be really cool so he starts that tune after after i play the intro on my bass you know part one i guess and i just thought man this is this is like this is like making a record you know we're collaborating we're sharing ideas and it was a lot of fun that is an important difference to the way that i write music i'm pretty isolated i don't work with a lot of people so for me it's every decision is mine if there's an idea that doesn't develop it's because i just didn't think of it whereas if i were working with a band i would have yeah. the input of you know four or five other people and we would collaborate and create something together. And I do miss those kind of moments, those spontaneity things that you just jump into. We're like, hey, you know what? And everything that starts with, hey, you know what? Usually mm -hmm. comes out pretty cool you know, or yeah. leads to something pretty cool. That would be a great song title. Hey, you know what? <laughs> might write stuff down and steal it. That might just happen. Yeah, <laughs> He's writing it down. Writing it down now. Uh, but, but I think it's great that you didn't just say, I'm making a record. I want you guys to play on it. Here's the charts. You know, you were open to that kind of collaboration. You you didn't say, this is the song. It was, well, how do you feel this? Or if you guys have ideas, shout them out. Let's, let's do something and make it together. Yeah. And Dirk was great with that. We, we had played a few gigs before that recording. And in fact, that's how Peter's name came up. I was like, man, it'd be because Dirk and Peter had worked before a couple of different times. They'd, they'd done some gigs and he's on like two of Dirk's other albums. And I think we were just, you know, we were like, I'm like, man, it'd be fun to get Peter Erskine on my record too. He's like, oh, I'll give him a call. And he just like <laughs> said, you know, like, oh yeah, that's right. You know him. And yeah. just give him a shout. And he did. And he's like, oh yeah, he'll he'll do it in like in a couple months. What do you, what do you think? Let's, let's pick a date. It shows that you never get anything if you don't put it out there. That's true. You know, that would have never happened if you thought, well, I probably shouldn't say that or whatever. I mean, you, you were joking, but it wouldn't have happened otherwise. Yeah. You know, and who knows who would have ended up on your album? Doesn't mean it would have been worse per se, but you wouldn't have had Peter and Peter's input on it. So that I like that because I think we tend to be too enclosed in ourselves, too afraid to say something and nothing will happen if we don't. So good right. for you for doing that. That's awesome. Thanks, man. Yeah, I like that. Uh I, you know, I was surprised when I saw Peter's name on there. Not that you wouldn't be able to get somebody like Peter, but just the fact that I, I've known his playing for decades and I know what a good drummer he is. So I was really excited to hear what the drums were going to be like on the album, how you guys work together in that. But I think maybe the way that you did it is what, what was exactly why it feels alive to me and not like a pre-planned chart reading studio recording. Oh, thanks, man. That means a lot. Yeah, there's there's... It's interesting. I read uh, or I, I saw the book for Chick Corea's Inside Out album. And I mean, basically, like this, it's just black ink all over the page. I don't know how you could discern what you're supposed to play on it at all because it's ridiculous. 
Right. And uh, when I was working for a music store in Colorado, Dave Weckl came out to our grand opening, who's the drummer on the album. And I walked him out to his car and I said, um, if you don't mind, Dave, I got a question I want to ask you. And he said, sure. And I said, I heard that the album Inside Out was written and recorded in two weeks. And he just smiled and he shook his head. He goes, no, that's not true. It was less. <laughs> and I'm like, how is that possible? But learning what I have about jazz since then, I feel like a lot of it was, it isn't, you know, here's the basic premise of the song. Here's the grooves. Here's the melody. Let's have fun with it. And they just know each other well enough. They're they're good enough musicians to where they very much perform like a live jazz trio where they're just, you take it, I'll back you up. Now it's your turn. I'll back you up. And they really kind of did it that way with a basic premise in mind. I could be wrong, but I feel that's the way it was done. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's what's cool about jazz. It's a, it's a, it's a language that all the jazz musicians kind of share where you give them a lead sheet, basically. If, if, you know, you you can write everything out, you could write out exactly where you want the hi-hat to be played or the bass drums to be hit. But basically if you have a pretty good lead sheet that shows the, you know, the chords, the melody, the form, and just some suggest, you know, swing feel, halftime feel, go to the funk on the bridge, the funk, the funk. and you just, <laughs> and, and you get, you know, guys like Dirk and Peter who are, are masters at their, at their craft. And I, if I just say, no, nah, you guys be a little more aggressive toward the end, you know, I don't have to put every little nook and cranny into the music, but if I'm writing a classical piece, you, you would be expected to do that. And, 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 you know, the good part about that is it gives you a lot of freedom and places to go with the music. You could, you know, like the conversation we had with our burritos over the intro to sound of music, you know, that was, that was very awesome. But the limitation of that or the restriction is that you could, you could waste a lot of time if you don't have the intention put on paper or the time to really rehearse it like you would in like a rock band or something where you, you know, I always think of like a rock band, like fish or something where they, they get together in a cabin and, and write songs for three months and then put out an album, you know, but yeah, <laughs> those kind of days are, are, are very limited. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting now because so many bands are, are recording remote and the writing gets changed. You're not in the room together. So you're not really feeling each other's energy the way that you're used to. And, I, I'm curious to see how some of these projects will come out compared to their other albums because it's just created under such different circumstances that even the writing has to be affected by that distance. Yeah, I think you're right, Scott. It's like everybody loves being in the same room and writing and hanging out and having the dinners together and all that, all of that. But due to COVID and travel restrictions, and it, honestly, it's cheaper, right? Mm -hmm. for, for you, I mean, I know you're working on a recording right now. You're laying down, down some drums for, for an album. And it's like you can just do it from your studio at home and, and, and send it off. And they're not having to fly you out. They're not having to book more studio time. And so it's, I don't know, it's not really going away. But yeah, and it's a weird situation for me because I'm not getting to work with the bass player. The guitar player will write the song and he'll send it to me and I'll add drums to it, but with no idea of what the bass player might be inspired to do. So right. I just I do my part. I send it off and then I just wait as each musician adds their flavor to it. 
if there's something I need to change. And I always send it off going, hey, if you guys want me to do anything different, just let me know. I can re-record it. It's no problem. Just because I don't want to be deciding all those things for the song. If I decide to cut the time in half for some reason, maybe the bass player will come back and go, uh, that doesn't really work there or that doesn't work with what I wanted to do. Can we try this? I don't want to paint someone into a corner. And that's the the open communication, I think, is what really helps with that because they know that I am willing to change anything. And it's such an oddball way of recording things that you have to be flexible. You can't you can't just be like, well, no, my part's right. You guys are going to have to work around it. Like it just it doesn't work that way anyway. Right. You know, when you're working with other musicians, if you're the writer and you're hiring session musicians, you can do that. It's still mm-hmm. not a good idea because you should you should still get input. You should still get, hey, do you mind if I try a take doing it this way and yeah. seeing if something, you know, be open minded to to the life of the piece. Right. Uh, but it is a very weird way of doing things. Um, if we were writing at least like through a Skype session where we could all be jamming together, it would still be weird because we're not in the same room. There, there's a difference in the energy, I think. But mm-hmm. I think we could benefit from that. But the kind of music that we do, it would be really hard to hear everybody doing everything. And it's something that everyone kind of needs to sit down and plan out their parts because it's really progressive. Yeah. Yeah. So it has to have somebody has to lay a foundation for it. Yeah. You have to trust your, if as a writer, I think you have to really trust your intentions and, and that's something for better or worse. I, I wish I would have done more when I did the the record, but it, it turned out pretty good. So I'm pretty happy with it. I, I'm not going to argue anything you did because I love the record so much. <laughs> but what I would say is that, that making that acknowledgement though, learning from what you did and didn't do now the project that you're working on, you can say, okay, here's what I liked about what I did. Here's what I've learned since. And here's how I want to approach this one and still be open to in the process of this. I also learned, and maybe I should adapt that. I think the biggest problem is that we just get things stuck in our head about how we want it to be or how it should be. That a lot of times we dismiss those things that could really make a difference. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. I mean, I I thought, well, I'm releasing this record. I'm going to be a big jazz star. Peter's <laughs> going to be calling me to to tour and all this stuff. And and I, a few things happened, and I I had some pretty cool gigs after afterwards. But everybody knew I had the Larev contract, and that's a great gig. You know, that's better than than five jazz tours in in many ways. And and you know, it's hard to give it up. Well, yeah, and it's and it's kind of the dream to have the secured full-time musician income. So, yes. but but I think maybe it was just the timing of it. Had you put the album out a year earlier, you know, who knows, you might have had some more interesting experience. But I'm not a person that really lives in regret. Life unfolds the way it unfolds. I made the make the best decisions I can at the time I make them. And mm-hmm. just because something else could have happened that I didn't know about or maybe would have changed my mind, Um, the decision was the decision because that was the best decision at the time. And if it wasn't, then you learn from it. Yeah. You know, but at the end of the day, you got over a decade with a very powerful show, entertaining millions of people over the course of those years. And I can't imagine you trade that for anything. Yeah. No, no regrets on that move at all. For sure. Well, let's uh, let's listen to a little bit of the album here. I was going to say the first song is called Cover, but that's because the artwork is at the top of the file. 
Yeah. I was like, I don't remember that song. Cover. <laughs> That's funny. It's such a cover. He won't even say what it's a cover of. That's funny. That's yeah. intense. Cover. Cover. Guess, guess the tune. <laughs> so, so it downloaded like that, right? When you see. So, no, I, I, I added, uh, I downloaded the cover separately and oh, I just, okay. I just added it to the folder, but because it starts with a C and the first song starts with T for the bistro, because right. I have it sorted by uh, track number. It oh, okay. puts everything that's not a track number first, and the only other thing in the folder is the cover. That's funny. <laughs> no, really, I, I'm a good podcast host, I swear. No, you are. You're wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. So the first song is called The Bistro. Let's listen to a little clip of that. I love the feel of the song. It really feels well, for one, I could tell that's an upright bass because there's a big difference in sound between an electric and an upright bass. Uh, <laughs> but it has a twang to it. It has like that really heavy reverberation because the strings are so big. Yeah. And even though it sounds like a gentle sound, you got to hit them pretty hard, don't you? You do to get to get the sound. I mean, yeah, you have to really dig in with the side of your finger and 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 get some skin on that string so it really really speaks for sure and those are some long strings so when you talk about you know what you're hearing is the vibration of the string and those are some really long strings and they're thick so to keep those vibrating you got to put some muscle into them i would think yeah it's really the biggest difference between the electric bass and the upright bass people often think it's a lower instrument like the range is lower on upright but they're the same strings. It's just the scale is much different. The scale being from the bridge to the nut of the length of the string. So do you find it difficult when you go back to electric bass that you want to hit it too hard? Or do you just fall right into that? Here's how I play this instrument. No. And it's a funny thing. I feel like I, here's my analogy with the upright bass. I, I feel like it's like a, when, when a baseball player is like swinging about four or five bats at once to warm up, that's what the upright bass feels like compared to the electric. <laughs> so, oh, that's that's so accurate. I love it that. Funny? It yeah. is. And, it, and, it, and so the more upright I play, the better I feel about everything, whether it's even mentally, I'm going to go there, or physically and spiritually. It's just I love the upright bass because you feel the vibration immediately throughout your whole body because it's so damn big. And the electric, you pick that up after a few minutes of upright or – an hour of upright and it just feels like butter it's mm. just like oh this is great you know and then and i don't really it's funny i don't really think i don't think i hit harder on the electric after i play upright but now i'm going to overthink that <laughs> well see this is the podcast that changes your world it's it's funny i just i was a guest on another podcast this morning and yeah. i was talking about when i started my show i was really afraid of asking questions that might cause people to rethink their lives just like that like a, a question like do you think you would have been happier if you'd done this? And then they leave the podcast going, oh, my God, did I screw up my whole life? <laughs> Just afraid of having that kind of an impact on person. So in the beginning, I was really timid about, yeah. you know, maybe pushing the boundaries too far. I've gotten more comfortable with asking somewhat harder questions. I don't go out of my way to do it. 
But right. I just tried to remember, like, some of the questions I ask might be innocent from me, but might strike a nerve with my guest. And I might not be intentionally trying to do that, but I might just ask a question that, that just brings them back into a memory. Like, when I asked you about going back to the Lareb Theater, I didn't think when I was asking it, like, wow, that might actually be a hard question for you to go to that place in your mind again. Yeah. It's interesting, man. It was like, I wasn't expecting to, to even feel that, but it's been emotionally, I've been, I've been really struggling the last few days, even just like. Well, I think there's a muscle memory to it too. And that's why they say that we shouldn't tell our stories over and over again. Right. Because we physically relive them. Like I can yeah. tell you a story of me being in a car accident. And as I'm explaining the story to you, my body is remembering all of that and going into a, a certain degree of trauma, right. re-experiencing all of that. So yeah, you want to do it, but you kind of have to be careful how much you do of it or maybe how you approach it so that you're not damaging yourself just by repeating those experiences. Right, right. I think actors go into that, right? Where they, yeah. they have that little pocket in their brain where, okay, I got to think of this this trauma to get the emotion out. And ugh. Mm -hmm. yeah, and sometimes it, it helps them. They can use it to their advantage because it makes them maybe walk to a certain part of the stage where they're supposed to be because they their body knows that's where they're supposed to be when they're talking about this or that. But I think for the most part, it's probably more damaging to us to do that than it is to be a benefit of any kind. Yeah. You know? I yeah, I, I agree. So now that we've gotten completely away with the song that we just played, let's talk about the bistro. The bistro. I, I have to say, when I, I didn't look at the titles the first time I listened to the album, I just wanted to experience the music without any preconceived notion, because titles can do that to us. That's cool. I wanted to just let the music speak to me. And, and it's interesting because I have to say, I pictured three people not in a bistro, but more like on a street corner, just performing for whoever was walking by. And I feel like that's kind of similar to where you were headed with the title of the song. Yeah, that's interesting. There was a bar slash restaurant in Longview, Washington, I used to perform at after I got my, my bachelor's degree from the University of Idaho. I moved to Rainier, Oregon, which is right across the Columbia River from Longview. And I didn't really, you know, I just moved there. My, my ex had a, 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 a teaching job. She was teaching music and I was just kind of freelancing, looking for, for work. And I ended up playing this, this trio gig it was, it was bass, guitar and saxophone. And the, the venue was called the bistro. And I just, you know, I'm like, I wrote a little melody down and that's the melody you just heard after playing a few gigs there. And I've, yeah, so it's just that's where that that tune came from, and then it's it's funny. I just played that tune a couple of years ago before the shutdown with with uh, John Abraham's group, and oh. Charles Charles McNeil was playing the head, and he's like, "Why don't we do it really fast?" And so we did. We have a version where we were just like burning through it. And it was great. <laughs> I'd like to hear that. Yeah. I, but I see that's the beauty of music is that you can be. I suppose really the beauty of anything creative, to be fair. But since I live mostly in the musical world, the ability to just take anything. Yeah. and find some inspiration to turn it into something tangible that you can share. And I find for me, I don't care if the listener necessarily gets the same visual I got when I was writing it, as long as it makes them feel something. Right. That's the important thing to me. Yeah. Yeah. People like that association. I think they, they want to have 
they want even even if it's an instrumental like this album is they they like to have that connection to the songs and it's something i i was going to do 10 years ago i could do it now is have like a little thing on my website maybe explaining each song a little bit that could be fun i could still do that but we have um, the technology <laughs> i think you can as, make it happen. as pdf and export <laughs> just put it in a spreadsheet somebody will figure it out Right. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a beautiful song. It has just a nice, relaxed feel to it. It's it's people that are just, let's just play. Let's just yeah. play to something together and we'll make it fun and we'll enjoy it. Maybe the people that are walking by will enjoy it too. And I Thanks. feel like that's kind of a theme for the album, uh, at least to me as a listener, is it's just a very relaxed, enjoyable album. It's not trying to be anything. It's not trying to be technical. It's not trying to show off the abilities of the members. It's just here's what we played because that's what we felt even cool. though you wrote it, you know, ahead Thank of time. You. no, that's, that's, I, I want it to be enjoyed. So oh, for sure. <laughs> but I think that's why it has that magic for me, that, that feeling like it's a live album and not a, a preconceived notion yeah. because it, it does feel very much like a live in the moment type thing because it, it doesn't sound structured, even though it is. Is that Thanks, sense? man. Yeah, no, that's, that's, <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't know how long the album would be. I just wanted those, these particular songs on it. Uh, the solo, all, all of the forms, solo sections were pre-planned and all of that. So I knew it would be okay about this amount of time. What was it like 53 minutes or something like that? I can't, can't remember exactly, but it's, it's, it's cool to have that organic feel with the record where each song's a little bit different than you know some of its electric bass some of its upright bass some of its acoustic guitar some of its electric guitar and so i think it has a pretty good variety to it as well oh i would agree and let's check out the next song this is called straight answer is a real unique picking style in the guitar in this that I really like. Cool. And I only hear that style in jazz. Is that really something that's limited to jazz? Ooh, I don't, you know, I don't know exactly what he's doing. I think he's sweeping a bit uh, where he hits like a couple different notes. It's like he's hitting like two strings before the, the melody note. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's cool, Scott. I didn't really think about that so much i was just counting the the head a little bit like oh yeah it's forgot the meter on this yeah and it's a great beat you know it just it just feels so free form you know like i'm just gonna play it doesn't matter what the notes are just keep playing you know whether i hit a rim or i hit a cymbal just keep going i'm just gonna keep the tempo yeah and i like yeah. that free form feel to it thanks man yeah, yeah. it's it's cool yeah that, that's a fun one that's i think that was one of dirk's favorites so whenever i do a, a gig with dirk in another club or something in town. He, he likes to pull that one out. And... Yeah. I love the opening of it. I mean, you could, that there are no, I don't know that much about upright basses, but are there upright basses that are not fretless? Um, 
upright bases that are yeah i mean they're all they're all fretless as That's far as i, I know yeah but i think i think you can i mean you'll see bases with lines on them where people will have that put on like so they know exactly where to put their fingers and stuff like that or you'll see little dots on the sides but yeah, but it's painted on right it's not like an actual fret that's going to affect the sound yeah that's a good question i've never thought about that yeah i don't think i've ever seen one yeah i don't think so either the viola the gamba is got little frets on it i think maybe i should check that before i say it <laughs> this that. is a yeah. factual show <laughs> only the facts only the facts or things that i get wrong and people point out later uh but I, I like the the sound of the opening, too. I mean, that is a great bass part that you're playing there. Is Thanks, that man. something that you just do you just jam and come up with this stuff? Or did you actually like intellectually write that out? Well, I think I mean, I like weird little vamps and things. I mean, I love Dave Holland. He's one of my favorite bassists and composers. And and of course, like Ray Brown or and I just I think I was just screwing around in the practice room as an undergrad and we just came up with that little little thing it's like an octave d going up to the up to the f and then and then going to the e flat down below so it's kind of this like weird like dissonant you know d minor with a flat nine kind of vibe and and then it's like oh it's in five and i didn't really you know think about it at the time but i liked how it's so it doesn't really settle you know when you're playing in an odd meter for our listeners that aren't music nerds like Scott and I here <laughs> it's 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 it doesn't really you know you're you're trying to count it there's no drums at the beginning right it's like then the drums kind of kick in and, and lay it down but and then the melody comes in it's it goes from five to six back and forth so but all of that wasn't that in, intentional actually like it's not like I sat down with a calculator and said okay I'm going to add five plus six oh that's 11 oh it's an 11 four time now it was like the, the melody just kind of fits over that that groove so and and usually if you're just working by yourself you don't even necessarily realize what time signature you're playing in because you're following the the melody and what you created and aren't necessarily counting it when you have to start working with other musicians to complete the song a lot of times that's when you go, oh, you know what? I didn't realize that I was playing in seven right there. I just was following the riff I wrote, you know, it's, yeah. it's a whole, it becomes a different song in your mind at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, when I first started writing songs, I, and I got more into prog rock and, and like math rock, I guess gets, <laughs> gets thrown around. I was really into that whole thing where it's like, okay, I'm going to write something in seven. I'm going to write something in five. And and I got really into that and, and just forcing myself to do that. But then I, I turned the tables kind of alluding to what you're saying. And I was just, I was just write out the melody or, or record it and then go back and analyze it and go, Oh, it is in seven here. And I got to make the chart. So the, like you said, so the band can read it. Right. Well, and the truth is if you play in any Titan signature, if you just repeat it enough, you're going to end up back on the one somewhere. Yeah, if, if people under you are playing in four, you know, I love That's a good 5-4 four over 4-4. Four, four. I think there's just a real magic to what you can create with that one simple beat. Yeah. You know, and when it comes together, it's just, it can just be amazing. Yeah. You totally know? cool. Yeah. yeah. I don't write in seven or anything above that a whole lot, but when I have, I've enjoyed it. The hardest thing for me is finding a beat that works with it. 
you yeah. know, something that you can lay a structure on, unless you do something like Peter's doing here, where you're really playing more free form and not to a time signature, you're playing more to a tempo. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of freedom to that when, when it's, yeah. Yeah. But this, when I listened to this song, I listened to it and then I listened to it again because I kept asking myself, where is the one, where is the beat that brings it back? And I'm like, okay, no, well, no, that wasn't it. Wait, no, uh, you missed it. Okay. Go back. Nope, that wasn't it. <laughs> because it's so open and so airy that it doesn't really feel like it has any kind of structure to it at all. But at the same point, it's very cohesive. Everybody's playing together. Nobody's getting lost. It just works. Thanks, man. That's exactly what I what I like about it myself. You know, that's I don't think there's many areas of music that you could get away with something like that. I say it as if you're if you're trying to commit a crime. Uh, I, I don't think there's anywhere where you could get away with creating something like that and having it work so well, except for maybe an instrumental section in a rock song. Uh -huh. But it would have to be something that isn't based on a beat that would be based more on like a general rhythm for that to work. I don't think you'd find a lot of opportunities outside of jazz where you could do this. Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, I, I'm thinking of like when you were saying that I was just thinking about Yes again and how they have some really complicated rhythms. And it's like it's still stressful when I listen to something from the 70s out of Yes. And, and, and it's just like I can't I can't quite grab it. Like, I love it. I appreciate it musically. But I'm just like it's not touching me like like a Dave Brubeck take five or, you know, something a little more organic and free. And open. Yeah, that's exactly what, what it is. And I, I just find that so impressive because as a listener, I don't feel like, okay, here comes the verse. Okay, here comes the chorus. Now it's probably going to be a solo. And all those structures that we get so caught up in, right. I just feel like I could just relax and lay back and let the song go where it goes and not worry about anything. Just enjoy every moment of it. That's great. Yeah, that's oh. pretty cool. As a side note, did you guys see us when they were here uh, a few months before the lockdown? You're probably working. Well, I saw them a few years ago, though, with with Chris and and the the original band. It was great. Yeah, it was. It, it was they were playing with. Uh, it was the Everson Lake and Palmer Legacy Band because you know two of the three guys are gone, and right. so Carl Palmer is another thing he's put together that's really quite spectacular. They're going to be here, um, I think, later this year. They're planning on starting a tour here, uh, cool. so they did that. Then it was Asia. Because, you know, Steve Howe was in Asia, so he played with Asia, uh -huh. Carl Palmer. And then uh, Arthur Brown came out and sang with uh, the Carl Palmer band, which I never thought I'd see Arthur Brown live. So that was an extremely big treat for me. And it was John Lodge and the Moody Blues. And yes. Oh, cool. And the whole night was just, it was just the late 60s, early 70s with a little bit of 80s thrown in there, recreated. Wow top-notch musician. It was just such a magical night. And that was the only time I've ever seen Yes, but I enjoyed every moment of it. Oh, cool. Yeah. What a band. Seeing Steve Howe band. perform live and just the stuff that guy comes up with. you know, yeah. and, and it's like, like I look at most bass players, like bass players are kind of playing, but they're really thinking about what kind of sandwich they want after the gig. <laughs> I, I kind of feel the same with Steve Howe. It just, he just looks like it's all so effortless no matter what he's doing. But I mean, he's been a professional musician for 50 plus years. Amazing. Yeah. You know, when you put it in those terms, it's like, well, you better not be tense about what you're doing. You should be at this point. Now, I hear I heard he was like the driest person backstage. Just. Oh, really? 
you know, after the show, just like reading a book or just. <laughs> not, oh, wow. Not the party party guy like some of the other guys in the band. Well, he's probably gotten out of his system, I would yeah. imagine. <laughs> right. So that leads us to our next song, which the title is cut off. There it is. Uh, I Wish I'd Met You Now. I love that title. Before we play the clip, I just got to say, I think that is a fantastic title because it really asks a lot of questions and then starts making you think about people that you've met yeah. in your life. How did you, what, could you give us a premise in the title? Boy, I'm trying to think, well, it's kind of a breakup song and I feel like, yeah, I don't want to name names, but it was a breakup where we had this really cool understanding about each other. And, and it was just like, you know, you, she was going to go that way. I'm going to go this way. And, you know, we weren't, it wasn't a big fight. Um, there was a job offer and, you know, our career paths were taking a different direction. And, and I just like, it was like the coolest conversation. And I just, I was, I was sad about the breakup, but it was also just like, I wish, you know, I wish we had this understanding back then now you know like in and yeah. kind of the where the title comes from i think there's times where like you meet people maybe when you're going through something like maybe there was somebody that you met during that breakup where you're kind of like not in a good place to be meeting new people and then yeah. like years later you find out wow i really wish i'd have met this person at a different time in my life because i think we could have been really good friends or we could have learned from each other or played together or something and yeah. i think that title evokes that kind of feeling for me like I wish I'd have met you now instead of two years ago when I was going through this you know, loss of a person or whatever it was. I think it's a very, very intriguing title. Thank you. There are, there are lyrics available. Really? Yeah, I'll send them to you. Oh, please do. <laughs> this is going to be a really big email by the end of this show. I know. We got, <laughs> we got a lot of stuff to cover. Let's, uh, let's check it out. You know what? This didn't hit me before. It just hit me just now. But listening to the bass on this, it kind of reminds me of a song called Gloomy Sunday. Ah, which huh. has quite a reputation of uh, of suicides and all kinds of things that supposedly people would uh, commit after listening to the song. And it was the only song that ever made the composer any money, but he lost his wife and everything over it. Uh, whether any of that's true, I don't know. It's never been verified. But just from the, the progression of the bass, it kind of had that feel like, you start thinking it's going to be optimistic and then you drop down to a lower note and you're like, it isn't though. <laughs> I like who that. that. Who wrote that? I'm going to have to look it up because I honestly don't remember who the original composer was. It's been redone so many times. Sarah Brightman uh, did a version of it too, which was really depressing. Oh my gosh. Wow. I mean, talk to, it's, it's music to slit your wrist by really. Yeah. That's, I like it when, uh, somebody finds something it relates to that. I have no idea what it's about. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, sure. it's like, that. that's pretty cool to me. Cause there's always, cause there's definitely 
things in my music where I'm like, oh, I wonder if somebody's going to realize it sounds just like that Pat <laughs> Metheny tune. <laughs> Which, yeah, there's, but you know, how do you find something that's a hundred percent original in yeah. 2021 or even in 2011 when so many musicians that were around in the 60s and 70s are saying, I feel bad for musicians now because it's all been done. Yeah, there's only 12 notes. Yeah. I mean, what are we going to do? Yeah, there's only so many tempos. There's only so many combinations of orders you can play them in. I know, it's crazy. <laughs> but but yet there are billions or trillions of songs out there. Yeah. And probably most of them don't know they've ripped off something else, which which really just means that two people had the same idea. Right. You know, you see so many people suing each other and like, I've never heard of you. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I know. It's just it, the accidents happen. But yeah. Know. But but it's like good. you said, I mean, there's only 12 notes. So even even if you're going minor and major scales and mixolydian and all those kinds of things, there's still only 12 notes. Right. So there's going to be a lot of repetition and overlap. The difference is when something becomes popular and somebody else comes in and says, hey, I wrote that already. It wasn't really popular, but I did it and I copywrote it. Yeah. You know, what was it? The the theme, uh, Ray Parker Jr.'s theme for Ghostbusters. I think they were sued by Huey Lewis in the news for the song, I Want a New Dr Drug. That's right. And granted, yeah, Ghostbusters came out a little while later and I Want a New Drug was a pretty popular song. So in that case, even if Ray Parker Jr. didn't do it intentionally, which I, I would never say he did, there could have easily been a subconscious influence because music gets in our bloodstream. And it happens. Dean and I were just listening to the Oak Ridge Boys today because, I don't know, we were just on this weird little country kick and, you know, Elvira is such a, their hit song and the low voice, you know, of the, the one guy. But then there was this other tune we found, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to bust the, the title, something about saloon back in the saloon. And anyway, it sounds a lot like the gambler by Kenny Rogers to me. Uh. And so we're like, when did this come out? So we look up the, the Oak Ridge boys tune and it was like 77. And then sure enough, Kenny Rogers, the gambler in 78, a year later. Wow. And, and it's just a similar structure, similar tempo. Melodies kind of does the same kind of things. Mm -hmm. I'm like, this sounds like the gambler to me. Like, it's so weird. And I don't think it was intentional. I think both artists did their thing. But well, and, and especially if you're looking at something like country music, which is very simple. It's usually a one, three, five structure. I mean, so many songs sound similar in country. They have the same progressions to them. So... How yeah. how can you say you ripped me off when 83 other songs that came out that year has that same progression in it? Right. Yeah. It's very difficult to be. It, it does get it. a little bit, um, a little redundant with the lawsuits. I think, yeah. you know, uh, now the, the baby from the Nirvana album cover is suing the band, even though he's really capitalized on it over the years. Now, all of a sudden he's like, I'm traumatized. Yeah. I'm in my thirties <laughs> and I'm just, yeah, I know. That's a little weird. That The whole story is just like, okay. Very weird. Uh, I do see that the original composer, and I'm not going to be able to pronounce this, uh, the original composer of Gloomy Sunday, also known as the Hungarian Suicide Song, which is wow. uh, very, very pleasant, uh, was composed by Hungarian pianist and composer Rezo, R-E-Z-S-O, Seres, S-E-R-E-S-S, and was published originally in 1933. Wow. 
Okay. Now that's according to Wikipedia, and we all know how accurate that is. So yeah. <laughs> you can change anything at any time. Exactly, but it's always right. Right. <laughs> so yeah. So it wow. but it was just the it was just that there's a chance. No, there isn't. Just that one note that drops down and it changes the mood of everything. And that's why every note is so important because it can really dramatically change the feel of the song. And right now there's only three instruments. So bass is standing out a lot more than it does in, say, a pop song or a rock song. So right. there's more there's more effect that the bass guitar will have because it's much more auditorily visible. Yeah. I don't know if there's a better way to say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was that was great. <laughs> it's just that that it was just on the fly. <laughs> I might so, hire you to be my publicist. Scott. Done. <laughs> I can probably do a good job for someone else. It's my own publishing publish publicizing that I can't do well. <laughs> right. So that leads us to the next song called "Me as an Herb." I like that title. Yes. I got to say, I love that how natural the song sounds that you didn't try and fix that extra buzz on that one note, you know, that that's the way the note sounds and that's the way the note's going to sound. I like yep. that, that you're not, we, we tend to live in this world of everything has to be perfect. We have apps that change yeah. the way our skin looks in photographs because we have to be perfect. I right. love that you left that in there. That is, that one note is such a highlight in that song for me. Yeah. The, the bass coming in with, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about because that, that, that bothered me at one point. And then I'm like, yeah, it sounds, I mean, you listen to old jazz records. I mean, there's, there's buzzes and slams and things all over the place. And so, yeah, I'm glad you like that. Yeah. And, and that might be again, another reason why the album feels live to me is because you didn't overdub that to make it perfect. Yay. Yeah, cool. for sure. You know, the, the intro is kind of funny. So it's Peter counting us in. Mm hmm and we, we 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 added that of course you know because you don't have to have everything when you edit a record of course you can you can out count ins and things like that and so i thought let's let's add this this will, this will be funny and then we cut off what he says four so it sounds like it's counting into three but it's reggae and reggae is weird anyways right so that the this can be on the on the two and the four <laughs> so it's just uh it's kind of a mind game we we, we had fun with in the studio yeah, and I like those rim shots that Peter did. It, it was very Stuart Copeland feeling for me, like the police could have done this song because they had that sort of reggae rock feel to them. But I, I love that this is called Me as an Herb and you get that sort of island ganja yeah. feeling to it. You know, it, it, I feel like I'm out uh, among the palm trees and the coconuts and there's like a breeze blowing through the hair I don't have. It's It's just got a wonderful feeling to it. It's it's funny because the title me me and Herb, it's it's not what I intended. Like it's got this reggae island feel, like you said, but it's actually it came from the guitarist Herb Ellis, who oh. I got great jazz guitarist, and he I got to play upright bass at one of his clinics when I was only eighteen or nineteen. Wow! Just learning upright bass, and 
And he was like, I need a bass player. And so some other professor got me to play on this clinic. And he goes, what do you want to play? And I'm like, well, how about a blues? I don't, I don't only really know like, you know, a couple of tunes. And, and he's like, well, what key do you like? I'm like, how about G? He goes, oh, I love G. And he made, he made me feel really comfortable. He's like, let's play it in G. You know, he could play in any key he wanted, frontwards sure. and backwards, of course. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I just wrote this tune as a tribute to him. And it just happens to be in G. And um, that's where it came from. But I always forget that story because it does have this islandy Caribbean feel. And everybody's thinking like, smoking pot right or me and the, the herb and i and i'm not a st- big stoner i mean i do like to smoke once in a while but especially when i wrote it i was so straight laced and would barely even have a beer back in the day so it's it's just kind of funny how these different like we were talking about earlier with titles and how people come up with this whole thing in their mind which and i understand you know makes sense yeah and and it, and it does i mean that's one of the reasons i i don't like to look at the titles while i'm listening to an album for the first time i really want the music to speak for itself to me yeah and had i had i read the title i certainly would have been thinking more along the element of yeah you guys are you know laying up against a hut smoking but <laughs> instead right. i just listened to the music i'm like wow this is like a really cool jazz reggae song that i've never heard that style before i really like this you know it's very different but reggae you're right reggae is a weird thing because the downbeat isn't even on a beat a lot of times it's on the and or the uh instead of the one or the two yeah and it's it's really got a weird feel to it yeah is there yeah it's a trippy form I, I know the bass is really busy on on reggae it's like plays a lot of heavy notes and then the guitar just does eh, eh. <laughs> it's yeah, like the, yeah the guitar is almost the least important part in in a in a reggae piece they're really yeah. just kind of carrying well here's what the key is and i'm just letting you know what number beat we're on <laughs> and that's really all i'm gonna do seems like a really easy gig for guitars you know yeah. it's really I wouldn't, I wouldn't say Andy Summers had it easy, but in general, yeah, I think for most like island performing uh, bands, like if I were to go to the Caribbean and see some of these bands just playing along the shore, I would right. probably think from for just judging on the music I've heard, I would probably think they've got it the easiest. Yeah, definitely. Tell your listeners that guitar is the easiest instrument. It ever. really is. I, how many people play guitar? I mean, geez. Right? How hard can it be if that many people can? I can't figure it out, but other people can. I have tried. I'm not good on guitar. <laughs> I am. I am a a uh, forever novice as a bass player. I'm really good on the fourth string. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, just I, just like four notes though. Yeah, exactly. I I will say I I will not compete with you ever, except on an open note. I think I can yeah. take you down. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's about where that ends. <laughs> so let's check out our next song called "Where We Are."
So I uh, just just listening to the opening of Hear Me Now's song Where We Are. Yes. Is who's playing the harmonics at the beginning? Is that you? Me. Wow. Is that on an upright? It's electric. Oh, it's electric. Okay. Yep. Wow, that sounds really good. Thanks, man. And and I love how the guitar comes in, but it's still kind of in that reggae mode from the last song. And that's also bass. This is actually this tune is just all bass. Really? Actually. Yeah. Yeah, oh, I man. Didn't know that. Yeah. I thought for sure that was guitar. Yep. It's uh it's one of my solo loop tunes I can do where I can I can do all the parts uh live, which I've performed at the composer's showcase before. Yeah. I haven't been to one of those yet. I keep meaning to go and every month I'm like, okay, I'm going to set aside my time to go. Okay, but I need to get the song finished or I've got this podcast to record or whatever. Like it's so much harder to get out and do things now. You are um, busy. Yeah, yeah, but I've heard they're pretty wonderful events. Yeah, I'll get you into the next one that I'm on. I'll, oh, cool. I always get like a, a comp ticket. So. Oh, nice. Thank you. Yeah, that'd be a lot of fun for sure. Yeah, yeah. So when you recorded this though, did you... You weren't looping it then. You were playing all the parts and then you overdubbed? Yeah. I. So when I f was writing it, I was probably using Logic or some, you know, GarageBand uh, to, to just get my ideas down. And then I can't remember how I came up with the, the, the intro. I'm trying to think. It's, <laughs> we had some house music at, at Larev that would play. And it's shit <laughs> <laughs> okay it's from a movie ah um oh i know the piece yeah um it's it's this italian movie it's not dream the impossible dream is it no it's that's probably what i sound like though <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what it reminded me of yeah like ah shit i'll find it Okay. I'll find it and send it to you later and you can blurp it in there if you want or something. Yeah, I'll put it in the notes. It's something where I would just, these harmonics would fit with the house music playing before the show would start. So I would noodle around in the cage before Lareb would start. And it just happened to kind of lie really nice on the bass. It's with the like fourth and fifth frets and and it happens to be in seven, which wasn't totally intentional at first. And then, and then the, I wrote this melody that kind of fit the groove. And I'm like, oh, this is pretty fun. So the title, Where We Are, just comes from being in the moment at La Rev and having this tune that was kind of like my own little secret that fit over the house music. I like that. And, you know, that's one of those things that just is an organic transition from one thing that creates another and then you add to that and i i love when music works that way instead of trying to overanalyze or intellectualize what we're trying to do and saying well i ended on a b flat so my next note is supposed to be and and following that right. you know rule i i love when it just comes out and when it naturally develops and the progression in the song is fantastic that's one of the things i really love about it is the way that it just goes from one part to another throughout the song Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Another another gem on this album, as far as I'm concerned. Thank so you. That leads us to the next song called Blues for the Road. Ah, yes. 
other thing, it's it's interesting how many things I'm realizing as I'm listening to this with you, but I realize that one thing that kind of sets jazz apart from other uh, forms of music too, is that most forms of music are not using clean guitar sounds as much as you hear in jazz. There's always some level of distortion or delay or something on it. Yeah. And it's kind of refreshing to just hear the guy play. This is a pretty dry tune actually with the guitar and the bass and the drums really it's very old school sounding i, I even think of like it, the bass tone kind of reminds me of like paul chambers where it's just it's very just kind of a a flat sound um this was a tune i actually co-wrote with a friend many years ago when i was an undergrad and we we had this little coffee house gig together his name was Mark. And I think we both came up with the idea together. And I never, I don't know what he's doing now. I don't know where he's at. I tried to find him. I looked for him before I released the album so I could give him like some credit. Uh, and I don't know what he's doing. Uh, so it's my tune now. Blues for the road. <laughs> yeah, I've got a couple songs that I've jammed with guys. And I'm like, man, I'd really love to finish this off and do something with it. But I'm kind of in that same pattern of I don't know how to get a hold of them. I don't I've, I've searched Facebook and, and Twitter and all that. And yeah, some people are just off the grid. Yeah, they're just gone. But yeah, it's got an old school vibe. It kind of reminds me of Mingus, Charles Mingus, which is one of my favorite composers and bassists ever. Um, yeah, just kind of a fun little nod to the early days yeah it, it definitely has a different feel i think than the rest of the album it kind of stands out because of that but not in a way that you're like wait a minute where's this album going like the the overall feel of it still fits within the context of the the cohesive album on the whole but this song does stand out as a little bit going down a different path yeah and that kind of that would explain why thanks man yeah it's kind of and it's kind of like Harmonically, it was a lot of fun because the bass line, it kind of descends continuously, which is that that's something that Mingus does with his writing. So maybe that was intentional, but uh, where it starts on F and then it goes to E flat and then to D flat and then to B. And then now we're on the four chord at B flat and then that goes down and then to B, you know, B flat, A flat, G flat, whole tony kind of stuff. Whole tony, is that a word? It is um, now. It is now. <laughs> Let's put it in the Wikipedia. I'm adding it to Urban Dictionary. Do it. <laughs> well, well. T let me ask you this, because I think that blues, the word blues in and of itself is a very big word. It can mean a lot of different things to a lot of people. And I always, growing up, I think blues, I think like four guys playing in a smoky basement with a Hammond organ, you know, yeah. the gritty old sounding Hammond organ. And that to me was always what blues was. Then it became something that could be a little more poppier yeah. and have a, a more lighthearted approach to it. And it wasn't that blues meant sad, you know, or yeah. I'm telling you, I'm telling you why my life sucks kind of thing. I find that it has a lot of different meanings to it. What does it mean to you? Boy, I, I think all of those things, I mean, blues, when you study it in college or in a jazz surrounding you can analyze the crap out of it for, for days on, on end, you know, like it just, there's so many possibilities. I mean, you think of the three chord blues, the one and the four and the five, and that's where it all started. But then in jazz, there's all these substitutions and, and other avenues you can take it. 
And that's what I love about the blues is you can harmonically do so many things with it. So as nowadays, if I'm playing, like I just saw a great blues band at, um, at the sand dollar and my, my friend Jason Langley was playing bass and it was, uh, the, uh, blanket on the name of the, of the guitarist. I want to say Jimmy Carpenter, but that's a sax player that plays there a lot. I think who was it on, on, uh, anyway, I'll send you that later. <laughs> blowing this. I'm blowing it. Yeah. I do that all the time. And only when I need to know something, does it not come to you? Right. Yeah, I know. Uh, I'm, it's bugging me so much. Let me find it real quick. But I, I do find that blues has become, it's almost like country used to be dark and depressing, had a twang in the guitar. There might be a steel pedal guitar in there. And then right. there became a time where country was also pop music. And, right. you know, it, it just, it seems like things have really evolved over time and the definitions of things have really changed just as the musicians have changed them. Yeah. Yeah, they have. I mean, it's, it's, it's really what I think of with blues is it's just a form. It's like, I mean, yes, I'm, I'm, you know, privileged white guy. I'm not singing about tough times. You know, I'm not like privileged. I mean, I came, I'm just like, I know, I know that I, I've had it good up in this country as a, as a white male, you know, sure. whatever. Yeah. I acknowledge that. And so when I'm going to write a what am I going to write about? Oh, you know, my iPhone needs charging. <laughs> I said to somebody the other day, I said, you know, growing up, um, I was overly prepared for the dangers of quicksand and horribly lacking in an understanding of how much I would spend my adult life charging devices. Right. <laughs> I feel like that was very unbalanced. Uh, to this day, I've never, ever been anywhere near quicksand. And I remain perfectly safe. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> well, while you're looking that up, I'm going to go ahead and play the next song, which I think just just by virtue of the title is one that we can easily all identify with. It is called The One That Got Away. <sighs> Okay, my first thing is that was played on a fretless electric bass. I was trying to get a sound kind of like that. And you're not the first to say that. So thanks, Scott. But yeah, it's all electric, uh, regular you, bass. You nailed it because the note bending or sliding, I guess, is so smooth that it doesn't <laughs> sound like there was anything blocking your finger on that string or changing that vibration. Thank you. Wow. I am <laughs> even more impressed with you now. <laughs> the other thing that comes to mind is now there are two ways you can think about this title. The one that got away is, you know, a person in your life or, you know, something that you uh, were trying to connect to that didn't end up connecting. Or it is also a fish story. The one that got away, the big fish that no one would believe you had on the hook and it got away. And why I even went down that path was because that style of playing that you're doing here 
is something I could easily see Les Claypool from Primus doing. And Primus was known for being a fishing band that would just take a day and go out on the water and get drunk and fish. <laughs> That's awesome. So that is the, the most bizarre I've probably ever compared a song to anything. I love it. But I love that. It has such a great feel to it. Thank you very much. This song is probably the most popular song uh, I've gotten the most positive feedback about. Even Peter seemed to like it the most. Um, but yeah, it, it is kind of based on the the former you know relationship thing where you know again another breakup song but <laughs> well, they're they're common and you could but you could feel the sadness in the yeah. playing there's that there's a longing in there yeah that i i really connect with oh cool man like that's that's definitely the the goal i've i've actually dedicated this song to a couple different people when they have lost like a good friend of mine, Rachel, when she lost her mother, mm -hmm. I played it at the composer showcase and I dedicated oh, it to her kind yeah. of as a, it was a surprise too to just, and then I dedicated it to my friend Wayne at his funeral. And he was a bass player in town, wonderful guy. And, and it's just kind of like, it's one of those. And that's what I like about music to, that it can, it doesn't have to have this heavy meaning on just one person, like my own personal experience. Yeah. I was inspired by the breakup to write this song and and i'm and i'm happy with how it came out and stuff but i'm also just like i don't it doesn't need to be just for me you can you can take it and, and throw it at another um event in in your life yeah it's not like you have to write down here's the story of me and jill and here's what happened to us and here's why i wrote this song and here's what this phrase means like that's the beauty of music is that you can just bring somebody into the arena right of, of what the feeling was and say Here's the music, you feel it, and you're going to tie it into at least one thing in your life, if not three or four, during right. the course of the song. Now, I, I do know Rachel, and she is an absolutely wonderful person. She's been on the show before, and just a, an amazing percussionist, but a very lovely person. That was a great episode, actually. I, I, oh, did yeah. you? Oh, yeah, she was a lot of fun to talk to. And I, I, I was just blown away by seeing her in the Vegas show. And just how busy she really was in that show. I mean, she was constantly playing something or three things at once magically. And it just blew my mind to watch her perform. I'm so bummed that that show closed. Oh, they're not bringing that back? That's what I hear. Uh, yeah. I don't know. It's what David Sachs Productions. Yeah. Um, I heard that it's not coming back due to COVID, but. Wow, I wonder if they're going to do the other ones like Zombie Burlesque and all those other shows. Because aren't those all David Sachs? All the ones I that are at Planet so. Hollywood? And I heard a couple of those came back. So I don't yeah. I don't know. But Vegas the show is great. Great band. Mm -hmm. Great variety on stage with the singing and dancing. And oh, yeah. It takes you through the history. I mean, Sammy Davis Jr. and the heyday of, of you know, the, the Rat Pack and all that. It's Yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I have to think, though, being the optimist that even if the these productions are closing down, they're not just going to let those theaters sit there. They've got to start at right. some point developing something for them because those are million-dollar theaters, and they're not just yeah. going to go, eh, we're not doing anything there anymore. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, use use the space, man. Yeah, and we they can't turn them all into convention centers. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you a real quick side story. When I, uh, when I shot with the Jason Bourne film, uh, for a moment, it was it was one day I was with them and yeah. uh, we shot right above the Zarkana Theater. And I had no idea 
that there were these giant conference halls right oh, wow. back there. I had no idea that even existed. So when I heard they were closing down Zarkana, uh, I asked somebody, it was probably Alex, you know, what they were doing with the theater. And he goes, well, they're going to turn it into a convention center. I'm like, but they have like five of them and they're huge. I know. You know, that kind of stuff does baffle me. But I, in all fairness, I'm not looking at numbers. I'm not looking at contracts. I don't know cost versus profit, seating turnout, like all that stuff I'm sure is considered. But as an artist, as looking at this as an artist, it's just painful to me when anything closes down. Yeah. And there seems to be new venues opening all the time. Yeah. And it's, it's weird. It's like, <laughs> use the ones we have for, for music. Keep it live. Keep it live. Exactly. And then they, they took the Chris Angel Theater over to Luxor and they opened up a show there that did not last for very long. And so then that theater just went empty again. And uh, I don't know what they're going to do with that one, but that uh, that's another like several million dollar theater that. It's crazy, man. Do something. There's plenty of working musicians in town, musicians that want to work and yeah. performers and dancers and singers and everything else. Uh, yeah. It's, it's got to just turn around at some point. Exactly. I mean, this is kind of unprecedented time. It is. It, it is. It's something's got to. Yeah. But I guys, found that. That venue by the, or the who was playing at Zandaller. Okay. Tangent. So Chris Tofield, have you heard that name? I have not. Great blues guitarist. And this is like tailing onto the blues for the road, which is nothing like standard blues, three chords and the truth. <laughs> but Chris Tofield and Jason Langley, the bass player, Chris is the guitarist and singer. They were doing like straight up old school blues and what I like about that kind of music is it's very structured to the three chords, like for the most part. And I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, diminish the, you know, the, that, that it's really, it's restrained in a good way, I guess is what I'm trying to say, where it's like, it's like very, you, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of predictable, but it's also just like, it just feels good and it, and it grooves. And, and I was thinking about how, like when I was younger and learning jazz and how I wanted to, and I'd play in a blues band and we were doing some like Stevie Ray Vaughan or something. And I'd want to put in the, the, the substitutions or the, you know, the little more harmonic, you know, tricks that you do in jazz into the blues band. And I remember the lead singer looking at me like, Tyler, don't do that shit. <laughs> keep it, keep it to the three chords right, and yeah. honor the, honor the tune at hand, you know? And that's, that was the point I was going to make with like, so that blues is a very loaded word, especially when you relate it to jazz, I think. Yeah. And, and a lot of people don't realize, too, that rock and roll was structured based on those same blues traditions. And so, you know, look at the direction that rock music has taken blues. It's it's such an open category, I think. But when I think so, that's why I would have to put the word traditional in front yeah. of the way that I used to view it. Those guys sitting in the base, the smoky basement, you know, playing the three chords. And here's why you should pity me. <laughs> you know, it, it, right. it's, uh, it's great music, though, but it's also music that you can enjoy without having to think about. Yeah. And I like that. You could just yeah. be along for the ride. Yes. Whereas, like, a... to, to contrast with my, my uh, Chick Corea reference earlier to Inside Out, that is music that you're like, wait, wait, okay, wait, no, stop it. Okay, go back. <laughs> you just can't you... listen to the song. You have to, tr like, try and pick apart all the things that you're hearing. And right. it's tough because there's five, six layers almost all the time that are changing. Uh-huh. You know, uh -huh. so it just depends on really what you're up for listening to 
Right. Because sometimes I don't want to, I don't, I just want to hear something. I don't want to get that invested in it. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Well, that brings us to our next song, which is called, I got to pronounce this right. Is it, it's Flicka's Funk? Yeah. Flicka's Funk. Flicka's. Okay. I knew I was going to say that wrong. But it looks like Flicka. Yeah. It's a Swedish, the the word Flicka means girl. And and this is the one dedicated to my cat. And her name is Flicka. I love <laughs> I that. Lost, I lost her when I was on the road. My mom was actually taking care of her, and she ran out in the street and got hit by a car. But oh. such a sweet, beautiful black ki- black kitty. And yeah, it was just a you know homage to her, and and just uh, this this has some interesting percussion tricks up our sleeves, though. I don't know if I told you about this no, when we had coffee. <laughs> We'll have to do that, but let's check it out and uh, and hear what it sounds like. he playing there is it a bag it sounds like a bag with something in it it's cat litter it's cat litter oh oh, man this is another tune it's a it's another bass loop tune all the sounds you're hearing all the harmonic uh instruments it's just electric bass so the you know the chords and then the the little counter melodies and the bass line that's all bass the percussion you're hearing is actually a cat litter box being sampled Wow. I I think that's perfect. I wouldn't yeah. have expected because it really sounds like a, a unique kind of shaker. Yeah, it's like it's yeah. like he's and it's these kind of pellet things that are for the cat box. It's like they so it doesn't, you know, I'm I'm trying to explain what they look like, but they're the, these tiny little half inch size pellets. So it's very easy to just like put it, you know, we we kept we 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 use clean litter, by the um, way. Yeah, I was going to assume that. <laughs> I mean, I, I know that you were upset and in the moment, but still. Right. <laughs> so I think it was Dirk's idea too. He's like, he's like, we should sample a cat box. I'm like, oh, that's a good idea. So yeah, that's that's what it is. It's just loops of cat box playing. Now this has got a good groove to it. I really like that. But even though it sounds kind of upbeat and happy, was it a difficult song to write? Actually, it, it really wasn't. It was just like, you know, fun memories. It's it's kind of a, the baseline's kind of weird. I don't even know, I don't even know how I came up with it. Just, but I think it started with the baseline. And then uh, the melody, I think it's kind of catchy. And, oh, yeah. And that's a little distortion. And, and uh, it's just, yeah, fun memories of, of having a really cool cat, you know, and I don't, we don't have kids and so cats are kind of our lives. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you guys just lost uh, another animal recently. We did. Alice, our, our old uh, cat, we lost her. It's amazing but, how pets become like siblings or, well, usually younger siblings because we're dominant over them. But 
uh, it's amazing the role that animals can play in our lives, the the companionship, the the unconditional love. Oh, yeah. You know, unless it's, hey, you haven't put anything in my dish, so I'm not liking you right now. <laughs> yeah, get that food in here. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Immediately. Let's check out uh, the next song, which is called The Sound of Music Intro. This is the one that we were talking about earlier. So this right. is the part that came from the dinner conversation? Yeah, yeah, oh. exactly. Okay, perfect. Let's hear it. almost has a little bit of an Egyptian feel to it. Ah, cool, man. Am I thinking along the right lines there? Yeah, some of the harmony kind of kind of lends to that, I think. Yeah. But I'm playing the, the verse right there. So the hills are alive with the sound of music. Okay, and we're back. So Tyler, uh, Tyler and I had to take a little bit of a break to find the lyrics to this. So I'm going to have him go ahead and read the lyrics for when you guys listen to this song. So it starts with the verse. My day in the hills has come to an end, I know. The stars have come out to tell me it's time to go. But deep in their dark green shadows are voices that urge me to stay. So I pause and I wait and I listen for one more sound, for one more lovely thing that the hills might say. That, you know, it's interesting because you can take that so many different ways. You mm -hmm. can look at that as inspiring, like she's excited, or you can look at it like she feels completely defeated and she's just hoping mm -hmm. that one more thing is going to happen before she has to leave. Like, it's really amazing how you can take so many different things out of one same concept. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. And this song meant a lot to me. The whole, the whole score and movie is just so awesome the sound of music my grandmother used to to sing the do re mi song to me over and over again and then like then i start college and like oh we're learning solfege and i know this song and that's pretty cool and so when i was exploring i remember like recording this and really studying these lyrics and try to feel that emotion that that, that julie andrews has here um in the movie, but I don't know if she sings that in the movie. I don't think she does, actually. I don't recall it, but I've only seen it a couple times. In fact, I just revisited it a couple of years ago. I hadn't seen it since I was a kid, and I thought, people talk about how great this movie and the soundtrack is all the time. Yeah. I should check it out again, because I was very young when I saw it the first time. And I was mostly surprised. I agreed, the soundtrack is fantastic, but I was mostly surprised by how political the movie was, I never, right. I was too young to understand the story. I just yep. took it as these people are trying to get out and there's somebody trying to stop them, which is like the epitome of every like eighties drama, you know? Right. So it didn't really dawn on me what was going on in the film. And when I watched it a couple of years ago, I was kind of blown away by the story yeah. more so than anything else. And of course the music I was familiar enough with to where there wasn't a lot of shocks or surprises, but it is a great soundtrack, very well written and beautifully performed on that soundtrack in that particular version. Yeah. 
I agree. Yeah, I can see why that would mean a lot to you. My grandmother was uh, a German citizen, so you know the the places that she lived were not not too different from like those kind of open fields and and that thing. Even though she lived in a small village, but uh, yeah, that was one of her favorites. I think just because she recognized a lot of the places where they filmed, it was kind of home for her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's cool. Yeah, uh, I I would have preferred that she you know t- took that memory and maybe built a chocolate factory or something like a patisserie that I could have visited often or just moved into would have been fine. Yeah. (laughs) Come on, grandma. So that brings us to the actual song, The Sound of Music. Let's check that out. I seem to start every after the song with, I don't know why, but <laughs> this this <laughs> reminds me of almost like a Christmas album that I've heard at some point, some jazzy Christmas album that just had that feel like you're outside at a restaurant. It's cold, but you still want to be outside. And there's just white Christmas lights everywhere, lighting up the patio and no other lights whatsoever. And there's a band playing in the corner, just playing some nice music that you can enjoy with your dinner. This really has that feel for me, even though it's very obviously the sound of music. That's cool, man. Thank you. That's a great uh, compliment. And I also have to say, I love how the tones are so well recorded on this album, and you can really hear it in the percussion here that we hear at the beginning. You really hear the full body of everything he's hitting. And yeah. and I, the bass is very rich on this album, too. The guitars are, because they're more dry, they're throwing me off just a little bit, but this album was very well recorded. Oh, thanks, Scott. We had a, we had a really good time putting it together, and and I'm I'm I don't listen to it like this anymore. You know, obviously I had to. You know, so I'm listening with some really good headphones right now. And I'm like, oh, damn, you're you're right, Scott. About those those toms sound killer. They just ring. You really get the overtones and resonance. There's a really good resonance. Yeah. In what I'm hearing. But I could say, too, with the bass, I mean, I'm hearing the fade out, the decay of the notes. I'm hearing that bend and really feeling it. You know, it's not just that it's there and you did it, but it's like I, I almost feel like I want to move forward a little bit when you're going to bend the string and bend it with you. It's, it's cool. It's, it's just great. I love it. Yay. Thanks, man. Is that the right term? Is it a bend? Is that the right right word for that? Uh, like the boy. Yeah, I mean, like with the upright, of course, you can slide a lot into the notes. Yeah, it's like I'm going up to the ninth there with with the um, the um, on the G string, and it's just kind of yeah, it's something I don't really, I'm not really thinking about that, but I guess it's an ex- expressive kind of thing. Oh yeah, and that's yeah, definitely cool. some great dynamics to you know make it more interesting. I mean, you could play the notes and it would be just fine. You know, the song would move forward as it should, and you'd be helping move that rhythm along. But that yeah. just that just adds an extra bit of wow to it. You know, that's cool. Yeah, and I like cool. the fact that you don't think about it. I think that really just goes to your natural writing style or or performance style, maybe because you didn't necessarily plan it, but 
it happened. It's there because you put it there. Thanks. Yeah, it makes me, it's something, I guess I'm just, I'm fortunate that it turned out that way with, with certain things like that. Cause that's something I don't, I don't think about. I didn't notate it that way. Uh, I haven't played that tune in years, actually. It's, it's, it's something, it's, it's a hard read. <laughs> oh yeah. But, but I mean, you didn't sit down and go, you know what, you know what these, you know, what's going to freak these people out <laughs> exactly. if I slide right here, that'll get them. Like you didn't, it wasn't strategized. Right. Exactly. It was much like your, your table conversation over burritos. It was just very <laughs> natural. And you, you said that works and you went with it. Yeah, man. Again, was, the beauty of music. Yeah. The beauty of music. It's unpredictable. I was thinking, I was kind of channeling some Coltrane and I was almost thinking like, man, a saxophone would sound really awesome on, on this melody, but Dirk did a great job and Peter did a great job. It's yeah. It's cool. Yeah, I like it. It's it's a great interpretation of the song too. I mean, very unexpected. I I didn't realize it first. I thought it sounded familiar, but I didn't know what it was until yeah. after I heard the song and then I looked at the title. I'm like, "Oh, yeah." That's cool. Yeah. Oh, that's that's fun. It, it was recognizable, but not I didn't connect it to the song, but it's not a song I normally listen to, so it wouldn't be one I would I would necessarily know, but it did have that familiarity to it. I'm like, "I know I've heard this." Ah, I love that. Yeah, that's, that's great. Very cool. And that brings us actually already to our last song, the title track of the album, Hear Me Now. Yay. big fan of a good trill ah uh, yes <laughs> but but speaking of getting a good sound i mean that guitar is it's full it's rich you're hearing the the sound in the body of the guitar coming through the mic that's an incredible recording session right there yeah dirk dirk knows what he's doing and he yeah he nailed it and his solo on this on this song is, is so beautiful i just love it is this um, just a regular acoustic he's playing that's a nylon string Okay. Yeah, nylon string acoustic. I was going to say that, but I didn't know if you could get that kind of resonance out of a nylon string. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently you and can. You can, you know, and he's I mean, he's a he's an audio engineer too. I mean, he was he was doing audio at, at Zumanity. Oh, okay. And then he's also he's recorded many others albums in his own studio and stuff. So he really takes his time with that with mic placements and I'll picking. just say that of all the shows that you could engineer here in Vegas, Zumanity probably would have been one of the most difficult ones to do because of the range, not just the instruments, but the vocalists. Yeah. I mean, there were some really powerful vocalists in that show. And then you've got a great drummer yeah. who's just playing some kick-ass stuff. And then the bass player joins in. That would have been a hard show to engineer, I think. Yeah. Plus they're, they're on stage too, right? They, or they were up top on that. Well, there was some of them were on stage. Some of them then would be up in that bridge that would that would appear out of nowhere. And then the right. drummer and the bass player were kind of in cages right in oh, the front. Yeah. Off to the right or something. Like yeah. That, or, yeah, that's right. It was a that's really small. weird setup, but very disconnected for the musicians, I would think. 
Yeah, it really was. Yeah, but great players, every one of them. Oh yeah, totally. Totally. This this tune I wrote I wrote Hear Me Now uh for my my sister, my my middle sister Anna and her her husband Andy for their wedding. I I ded, I should say I dedicated it to them because I'd written it a few years before that. <laughs> but, you knew they would hook up. I did it. Okay. <laughs> but but this has this is kind of cool. Speaking of verse and chorus, like like Sound of Music has the verse that I play on that that track, the, which is called Sound of Music Intro, this has a little intro as well. And there, there are lyrics to this song as well. And it's like, make it last, make this moment last forever. We've been told this line before. Make, make it stay, make my heart stay forever and ever. And it's like, so it's all these like emotions of like, okay, this is a marriage and it's going to last forever. And it's you, you have all these hopes and, and they're still together, by the way, they're oh, doing good. great. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, it's like, we have to live in the moment too. We have to be present with, with things, with life, with love, with relationships and not always think about the next few days or months or years or you know we only have today and so it was trying to and, th and i struggle with this many people struggle with this of course and so that was kind of the premise of the song and the title and, and really the whole album and that's why it's called hear me now so and like it's kind that. of a it's kind of a funny title because it's it's a ballad right it's a jazz ballad it's it's slow it's romantic but it, but the title is like the opposite, right? Hear me now, damn it. It does sound like kind of a, a, a plea or a demand. Yeah. But you could also do it very gently too, just, just to draw a little bit of focus in the middle of a conversation. Like maybe two people are talking and they're just not connecting or whatever. And you just stop and go, hear me now. And, right. and just kind of refocus. So I can see a lot of different possibilities with it. That's cool. Um, there's a concept. It's interesting that you bring this up because there's a concept that I try to live by called be here now, which means wherever you are at, whatever moment you're in, don't be thinking about, I got to do this tomorrow. I should have done this different yesterday. Just be right. in the moment you're in, because I think mm -hmm. we tend to lose what we have in front of us because we're too focused on things that are not right now. You know, and yes. so it's interesting that that concept, I had wondered if there might be some kind of similarity to it. And, and it sounds like it. Very much so. Yeah, it's it's just about being in the moment. And and it's like, I mean, I'm, I'm struggling now. I was just looking up a couple of things on my phone or somebody texted me and, and I'm like, oh, I'll get back to that later. Yeah. And we we all kind of struggle with that. And they've done a lot of studies on this. If you're trying to multitask, you're 17 percent slower at both tasks. So you're really even like, it's not efficient. You think it is, you know, but you're really slowing yourself down. Well, and now we're, we're force trained to multitask because, you know, some people are taking their shower and then while they're getting ready, they're answering emails they're setting up their meetings for the day They're You know, it, it's not just like we only do one thing at a time now. And I wonder what the long-term effects on our brains are from yeah. the way that we've had to transition our thinking. Yeah, I, I you're right. I, it's it's going to be interesting. I mean, a surgeon obviously can't like check their email while they're doing. Well, you um, would hope not. <laughs> you would hope not, right? Yeah, but, yeah. But even this, like, I, I forgot the the name of the podcast. Um, but Greg Fitzsimmons. Um, oh, it's I think it was the Sunday Papers. He's Greg Fitzsimmons, hilarious comedian, and 
And uh, I think they were talking about this timer where you just you try to do one task for a set amount of time, like maybe 25 minutes, and then take a five-minute break. And you just keep doing this cycle over and over again. And I, I was doing a little bit of it today when I was working on Ableton and relearning some of the, the way the program works. And, and, and it was like, okay, this is really cool. And I, I, I see the timer and I have 10 more minutes to work on this one task. And it was really helpful. And I'm just like, this is, this is great because I'm, I am easily distracted. I'm, I probably have ADD. I'm, I think we all do sure. at this point, you know, yeah. but there, there are some programs that will work as alarms for you that kind of say, Hey, you've got two more minutes, finish up your stuff. Let's get to the next thing because I'm going to go off again and you're not going to like it, you know, mm -hmm. and, and they really cause you to do time blocking. Yeah. You know, and, and those are great. But I think the other component to that is getting our minds to just focus on that task and not be thinking about, OK, well, as soon as I get this done, now I got to jump onto this other thing or as soon as my five minute break is over. And then we spend our five minute break not really resting our minds and going, OK, I got to do this and this and this. We really need to find a way to work ourselves better. I yes. think I think we've gotten very off track of how we utilize our own abilities. And um, I didn't mean to get this all philosoph philosophical, philosoph philosophical, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I do think it's important yeah. that we are aware of what kinds of things we're doing, what opportunities we're missing, and what we're allowing to distract us. Because I feel like there's a lot of distractions here. Tons. And you do have to manage it. Nobody's going to do it for you. I mean, you, yeah, there's all these apps and, and great things out there, but you can easily turn them off or you can have another device in front of you that's not related to the task at hand. And I, I can give the best example for anyone who's ever been to Vegas and driven down any of the streets that are anywhere near the Strip, really, because you've got flashing billboards, you've got every casino flashing, you've got advertisement, these giant advertisement television screens, and you've got billboards with phone numbers that you should definitely not be trying to write down while you're driving. <laughs> I don't know whoever thought that was a good idea, unless it was from like covered wagon times. Yeah, right. <laughs> but I mean, it, there are so many distractions for a driver here in oh, Vegas yeah. that it makes it very dangerous. And if you think about our brains are working in not that different of a fashion, but that we can control. Right. You know, so True. you know, definitely be aware. And that is the lesson of this album. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I honestly, though, I, a friendship aside, I always go into uh, a new project with just an open mind. And I wonder what this is going to be like. I try not to preconceive other than the fact that I know you well enough to know that you wouldn't release anything that you didn't think was quality. You're not the kind of guy that's like, well, you know what? It's done. So whatever. Like I just, I knew I was going to get something of substance and you, my friend did not disappoint in any, any way at all. It's a fantastic album from the first note to the last. As soon as it was done, I just wanted to listen to it again, which is very rare for me. Um, I'm usually like, okay, I'm ready to move on to something else, especially in a style that I don't particularly gravitate to. So yeah. for me to have experienced those things, especially in a style that's not my my game uh i have to say two thumbs up for this album because very little music makes me do that and you nailed it right off the bat oh thank you so much scott that means so much to me yeah i and i really am looking forward to your next project i can't yes. wait to see what you're cooking up because if if i 10 years of experience between the first release and this one 
you're going to have a completely different approach. You're going to have a different approach to the writing, to the writing tailored to who you get to perform on it, unless you're doing everything yourself. Like there's so many different things that you're going to do on this one than you did your first one. And I just can't wait to see what you turn out. Oh, thanks, Scott. Can't wait to get out there and produce. Yeah, for sure. Well, definitely keep in touch. Thank you so much for coming on, for talking about the album, your history. You've had quite an interesting career in music that I think is really a unique thing because not that many people overall get to work on these shows, especially for such a long period of time. Thank you. It's been a great run, man. I'm very grateful for it. So I've got Tyler's website and his podcast in the show notes. Everybody go listen to the Hear Me Pod. It is a fantastic show. First episode with Marcus, you will be hooked in like 10 minutes. You'll be like, subscribe, guarantee. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Thanks for man. Tyler. Definitely come back. Let's talk about your next project when it's ready to go. Sounds good, Scott. Can't wait to have you on my podcast. Soon. I'm looking forward to it. You take care, my friend. All right, you too, buddy. Bye-bye. Bye. What a great, just natural album. You know, it really feels like it was just a live jam, kind of made up on the spot. But as you heard... There is so much background, so much going on on this album that I would have never guessed. And now, of course, I'm tempted to take a deep dive into how many different sounds I can make using cat litter. Because I'm not sure how deep I actually want to dig into that. But thank you, Tyler, for doing the review with me. It was a great time talking to you. I can't wait to be a guest on your show. So I will announce to you guys when that happens. And in the meantime, stay tuned for a bonus episode coming on Halloween. Cheers, guys. Cheers, guys.